Bash at the Beach 1994 was the biggest WCW event in history. And the biggest way to save money if you're a wrestling fan is to call First Family Mortgage right now at 888-425-0105. Or get a quick quote online at 1FMC.com. You see, that's where you'll get a cheaper monthly payment and even get to skip your next two house payments. But maybe best of all, we can help you get out of debt. If you've got credit card debt, if you've got a second mortgage, if you're just in a 30-year loan and you'd like to pay your house off faster, First Family can help you make that fast and affordable. And as always, you never need perfect credit with First Family. Even families with credit scores in the 500s can save money. But maybe best of all, you don't need money out of your pocket. If we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. No matter what you're looking for, whether it's to make some home improvements around the house, wouldn't it be nice to go ahead and get the cash you need to turn your house into your dream home and do it with no money out of pocket? Maybe even cheaper monthly payments? First Family can make it happen right now. Or maybe you're throwing your money away on rent. We can help you become a homeowner with no money down. Why wouldn't you do this? Spend 10 minutes on the phone with us and get the peace of mind of knowing that you've got the best deal for your family with First Family at 1FMC.com or give us a call. It's 888-425-0105 and MLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. The following program is MLWRadio.com production. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett Promotions. And now let's go to the ring. Here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Monday, right here on the MLW Radio Network. But the real reason you're listening, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, dude? How are you? Hey, hey, Conrad, and hey, hey, Slapdicks all around the world. Good to be with you here as we move on in the month of April and uh, when when we're uh, downloading this podcast. And I want to let everybody know that I'm so excited about the T-shirts. I'm so excited about being able to talk to Conrad on a weekly basis. And I'm not so sure many people can say that. But I am looking forward to talking to Conrad each and every week. As I said last week, wrestling to me is fun again. Thanks for all your response. we got a lot going on today. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, one of the big moments ever in WCW. And we're also going to be talking to let fans know about how they can learn more about getting their podcast on the air through podcast movement. That's all coming up. And uh, I was watching back and watching uh, Bash at the Beach 94. About the third time I said... This is the greatest night in the history of wrestling. I wanted to take a spoon and shove it up my ass. Uh, I had enough of that, so boy, did I oversell that. Wow. But it was, was big at that time, you know? Flair and Hogan really was to, to be on a pay-per-view. Yeah, here's what's amazing to me is I don't think you overused it for Hogan Flair, you know, the first time on pay-per-view like this. Right. But when you would try to use it for Buff Bagwell and Scotty Riggs on Nitro, you know, <laughs> fuck you for that, Tony. Fuck you for that. Yeah, thank you very much. I uh, Did I really use it for that match? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, by the yeah. way, I took a little heat over the week uh, about our commentary where I was critical of Buff Bagwell. Hey, guys, it's a gag. I'm a Buff Bagwell fan. I think as a heel, he's one of the most underrated heels ever. And a lot of people say, oh, I hated him. 
that's kind of the idea. I mean, he's a heel, so <laughs> hey, right. I, I, I think he's a wonderful performer. Uh, but last week we were trying to have a little fun with our commentary and he's an easy target. He did the show gigolos. Come on guys. These jokes write themselves. He's a great guy in real life. He's been super polite to my, my daughter. Uh, I can't say enough nice things about it. We're just having fucking fun. And we're going to do that a little later. Uh, if you have enjoyed the last couple of weeks where we have done over the top, silly commentary with Tony, uh, you're in for a treat today. We're going to do it for the bash at the beach as well. So if you'd like to go ahead and prepare yourself, pull it up on your Google machine, the WWE network, uh, we'll tell you the exact timestamp to go to, and we'll have a little fun a little later. But before we get into the show, Tony, I do want to ask, I sent you a link this week. Uh, did you watch the Starcade boys? Have you seen this? I didn't see the link Conrad. I, I know I did not. Well, I'm going to encourage everyone to look up the Starcade boys. Now it's with one R and they have done a phenomenal video, uh, that they made on their own for a song they wrote called long limousines. And it's obviously spoofing the glory days of Jim Crockett promotions and you know, the four horsemen, it starts with, uh, you know, a little speech from Arn Anderson that was probably featured on one of the WWE produced DVDs about the horseman. Uh, but then eventually they get to a character driven part of the video that is just outstanding. And one of the characters, Tony Schiavone. Really? Well, uh, Conrad, uh, if you know how to get in touch with those boys, uh, let them know that uh, we will be sending them a bill for my likeness. And uh, see, now we're, we're telling another joke. It's just a joke here. If you can't take a fucking joke, you're on the wrong podcast, right? Absolutely. And I, and yeah. I encourage everybody to check out Starcade Long Limousines. We're actually yeah. going to play it at the end of the show today. Uh, cool. Them Starcade boys are huge fans of our podcast. And they have put together something that we think you're really, really going to enjoy. Uh, so at the end of this, we'll play the song for you. And if you are even remotely interested, we're going to have a uh, link to it on our Twitter account. That is over at WHW Monday on Twitter. We would encourage everybody to take a look at this. I'm telling you, the attention to detail on making this thing look like it's 1985 is outstanding. Uh, it's the Starcade Boys, Long Limousines. And uh, we will play it at the end of today's show. But what you really came here for is the Bash of the Beach 1994. And why are we covering this? Well, it won the poll. You see, every single week, you guys get to shape the show. What do you want to hear? Well, all you've got to do is follow us on Twitter, at WHW Monday. And by the time you're listening to this, next week's poll is already up. So just cruise on over there, at WHW Monday, and throw down a vote for what you want to hear. We'll cover the poll topics at the end of the show. Uh, but first, let's talk about the Bash at the Beach 1994. And let's kind of set the stage a little bit, Tony. So we're coming off of WCW's most recent pay-per-view, Slambury. And it only draws 2,700 paid fans, which probably has to be considered a disaster. Now, this happens to be... Right around the time WCW is finishing their negotiations with Hulk Hogan. And a lot of folks assume that the original plan was likely Flair Hogan at Starcade after a big buildup because Starcade is the big uh, pay per view event each year. 
But now, on the heels of Slamboree's low numbers, it feels like the Flair-Hogan match is most certainly set to take place in July. Um, I do know for sure, Tony, that there were original plans out there for Spring Stampede that would involve a tag match with Flair and Hogan on opposite sides, seemingly building this up. Uh, But apparently all of that changes here, and now we have less than six weeks to build for the biggest WCW show in history. Uh, So I'm curious, Tony, from your perspective, when did you first hear about Hogan coming in, and do you remember there being plans for a build to Starcade, and then everything kind of changing after Slambury? Conrad, I remember talking with Eric and and him talking about negotiating with Hogan and the fact that uh, he wasn't sure that he would be able to sign Hogan, but he had in his plans, he said, the one thing that he knew that he thought could get Hogan away from the WWE or bring him to WCW. And I remember that talk being like probably late the, the previous year in 93, uh, and then once it was done, I don't remember the build to Starcade uh, or us talking about building at the Starcade. I, I think all of us thought that if Hogan is going to sign, we ought to go ahead and get the match done that everybody wanted to see on pay-per-view. Um, so I don't remember the build up to that. I, I know with the fans that Starcade was our biggest pay-per-view event, but I think with WCW, especially after what happened with uh, Spring Stampede, our biggest event was going to have to be the next one if we were going to move forward. Well, I think a lot of the uh, Starcade talk is increased, or at least the, the rumor and innuendo that that was supposed to be the big blow-off because it comes out that Hogan has signed a six-month deal that would expire at the end of 1994. Um, we'll get into the, the deal in just a minute, but I do want to ask you about this. In my research, I found this maybe more interesting than a lot of things. Uh, In June, it was reported in The Observer that WCW had Ric Flair tape a series of interviews in a studio where the doors were guarded and virtually everyone was shut out. Uh, They wouldn't let anybody in the room, and that happened on May 25th. Was the topic of these secret interviews about the Hogan match and they just didn't want that leaking out, or was there more to it than that? No, it was about the Hogan match. I wasn't privy to those interviews. He did not do those interviews with me. Uh, no, they probably you, use the, uh, the a team, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like Gene Okerlund, right? Sure. Yeah. Because he was a freaking man. Uh, and by the way, when you watched uh, bash to the beach, you'll, you'll realize again, why Okerlund is a fucking man. Uh, but, uh, those were about Hogan to get him in the can. It, it was, as you know, things have escaped from us before. In other words, we have uh, brought out some shit on TV that hadn't happened yet. You and I discussed this on earlier podcasts. A lot. Okay. So we we had to do things in really in secret back then because you just never fucking know what would happen. Well, they expected big things out of uh, Hogan and Flair finally happening, which is why they agreed to an unbelievable contract. Let's run through that for a minute now. I should mention, we are going to cover Hogan coming to WCW in longer form at some point in the future. Uh, But just prior to us discussing this card, I couldn't help but talk about this. Uh, They got got him under contract for three Clash of the Champions and three pay-per-views for $300,000 per show for a total of $1.8 million guaranteed from those six shows. 
Uh, Hogan would also receive, check this out, 25% of any pay-per-view increase based on the current averages. So if they were doing, you know, 70,000 buys and he got them to 200,000 buys, he would get 25% of the gross of those 130,000 increased buys. Uh, He would also have to work half a dozen U.S. house shows and one European tour, and each time he would get 25% of the house gross. He would also get up to 65% on all merchandising income, uh, which Meltzer notes is incredible since some of the arenas at the time could get up to a 30% cut on the items, which means they'd be paying out 95% and actually lose money on some Hogan stuff if whatever they were selling costs more than 5% to manufacture and deliver. Uh, Tony, there's been lots of talk about Hulk Hogan's WCW deals over the years, and I'm sure we'll break them down in greater detail in the future. But on this very first deal, what was the talk of the locker room and in the office in regards to Hogan's deal? The only talk in the office was, and in the locker room was, that Hogan had final say on his character and on what his character could do. That was the only thing that was kind of like the running issue that if Hulk Hogan doesn't want to do this, it is in his, uh, it is in his contract that he doesn't have to do it. Hmm. And that's the only thing that was really the, the talk at that time. I don't listen. I know with the exception of probably Meltzer bringing it up and, and it being out there on the quote unquote dirt sheets, there wasn't much discussion of the actual numbers of what Hulk Hogan was getting. We all knew he was going to get big money. He would have to get big money to come here. Uh, but everyone thought that, that Eric had gone a little bit too far. And that was the point that Eric told me that was the reason to get Hogan here. The one thing he could do that Vince would not do, and that would give Hulk Hogan 100% decision-making on his matches and his character. That's one thing that Vince would not give up, and Eric would give Hogan, and that's why he got Hogan. Uh, Meltzer soured on all of this in the June 94 Observers. He says, on television and publicly, the Hogan-Flair match in Orlando isn't scheduled to even be announced until the television shows airing the first week of July, just two weeks prior to the pay-per-view. A pay-per-view that needs to be the first of three shows to average a .87 buy rate which virtually everyone in wrestling believes to be the impossible dream for the company to maintain its current level of profitability as it had without Hogan. The thought, of course, is that Hogan's name value is such that it will take WCW to a new level, the new 1990s catchphrase in the entertainment world for attempting to justify bad business deals. The announcement of the Hogan signing with WCW did receive considerable amount of mainstream publicity nationwide on June 6th. Do you remember thinking, Tony, holy shit, we've only got two weeks to build this? I don't know that we're going to, that this is smart. Because that feels, in 94, you know, they do this on Raw now, but everything's on the network, and, you know, they have pay-per-views every month. But back then, did you think that, holy shit, two weeks is not a lot of time to do this? Or because of the magnitude of it being Hogan Flair, you could announce it a week before and be fine. I, I think that... Here's here's my question to you and and to uh, Meltzer and anybody else. What would be the right time? How long do you think? What's the definitive time to to uh, play this out? Six months? 
A oh, month? Come on, Tony. Three weeks? No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, everybody's we, we second guess decisions. I think, I, I think because of the mainstream publicity we got, and because of uh, our fans are going to watch our stuff anyway, and now it's going to get some other fans to watch our stuff. I, I think I was not concerned about how far out we were to announce this. I, I was not concerned about that at all. Well, I, again. I asked the dirt sheets, if you think that was not time enough to properly promote the match, then tell me what is. How six weeks sounds. Okay, see, that's a, just an arbitrary figure. You know, what the fuck? What no, the fuck? No, it's not arbitrary. I mean, let's run through this. You guys were running pay-per-views for years and years and years, four or five at a time, you know, for the year. And so as you start to speed that up, uh, what's wrong with building it from one pay-per-view to the next? I mean, that's... To me, this, if anybody else was doing it, you would say, oh, they fucking hot shotted this. But because yeah. right now it's you, you're like, oh no, my shit doesn't stink. Two weeks. No, is fine. no, 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 no. Look, when, when flair went over to the WWE, did they make a big deal out of flair and Hogan on a big pay-per-view? No, no, they did not. So we had to do it immediately. We had to give, I think, the fans what they wanted. Now, I, I, let's, that's my opinion. I'm not saying we as I, I was a decision maker here. And I, can, I, I understand the hot shot thing. But I, I just – here's my thought, thought as, a, as a wrestling fan and as, uh, and as a guy working in the office at that time. If we're going to bring Hogan in, you're going to bring Hogan in against Flair. What would be the buildup? I mean, who would he have to face to build up to Flair? I mean, we could do tag team, I guess, yeah. six-man tag – to where you know Flair would run away from him, the old Flair Blackjack angle from back in uh, Mid Atlantic days, to where you know Blackjack wanted to get his hands on Flair. They signed a tag team match, and every time Blackjack tags in, Flair runs. I mean, that would have been a pretty good build up, right? Uh, but yeah, you know, by that time, you know, the Starcade Battle Bowl stuff had been pretty. Uh, Starcade had become pretty lame. Uh, and uh, I, I just think it, I think it was the right thing to do. I think you had to go for it. The, I mean, you can put all this money into this guy. You had to go for it. You had to make him uh, your champion and the face of this, uh, of this franchise. Uh, although it did seem to me in that interview after uh, Bash at the Beach when he won the title with, with Gene Oakland and everybody in the backstage area, it did seem to me that we were kind of pushing Flair to the side. At that time. Well, no doubt about it. And Flair has been critical of this in his book and everywhere else that right. he feels like he was partly responsible for getting Hogan in the deal because he's the person who kind of arranges the meeting uh, yeah. with Flair and Bischoff there in Florida and or with Hogan and Bischoff there in Florida. And then, of course, he comes in to a contract that is much, much bigger. At the time, uh, Flair's making something like $600,000 a year. And now he's brought in somebody who's going to be making a multiple of that, no less than three times more. And, right. and Flair admittedly says, hey, he should have made more. How about double? But triple, quadruple, he's like, holy shit, give me some more money. Yeah. Uh, so that's I, why I kind of assumed when I asked earlier, what does the office think about this? What do the, what do the boys think about this? That there would be some more pushback. But if there's not, there's not. I, I do want to mention – uh, that while all of this is going on, it's important to remember the way Hogan left the WWF. He was not a major draw when he leaves in 93. 
the bloom was off the rose there as far as ticket sales and just revenue overall. So Vince was happy to let him go. Uh, and then, of course, at this very moment, there is a stain on the World Wrestling Federation and for that matter, Hulk Hogan, because of the whole steroid trial that's going on with Vince McMahon. Uh, so it is a little bit of a calculated risk here to sign Hogan because WCW needs the star power, but there is a stigma on Hulk Hogan a little bit. And this Hulk Hogan looks much smaller than the Hulk Hogan that people were really familiar with. Wouldn't you agree, Tony? Oh yeah. He was much smaller. I, but I, I think the, the fact of bringing Hogan to WCW from the WWF back then was in itself that move. You mentioned the mainstream uh, media that we got from getting Hogan uh, to us. It was, uh, to me, a, a big deal, and uh, all that be damned, I think. Uh, I, I think it. we always had tried, and, and I mentioned this before. You can go back and take a look at the old WCW Saturday nights with Jim Ross and when uh, Kip Fry was running the company and how we completely fucked up that show by trying to, at best we could, rubbing up against stars. Uh, we, we really take a look at those things. Those things, and bless Jim Ross's heart, those things sucked. Uh, we attempted that throughout the years to try to be more mainstream as a company compared to the WWE. We never had accomplished that. This was going to accomplish that. All of a sudden we got Mr. T we got Shaquille O'Neal and our pay-per-views. And as you probably know, as, as we went further and further and further, uh, it, uh, it opened some more doors for us. Uh, and I, I think it also had an impact on, the perception of WCW within Turner Broadcasting with the higher ups. Now, Bill Shaw was running the company, I know, but I, I think Turner realized, the people of Turner realized, whoa, they got Hulk Hogan. That's, that's quite deal. a big deal. Absolutely. So, in effect, that probably led to the talks with Nitro and, and becoming on TNT and for us to be a little bit more value of a company within Turner Broadcasting. That's how much of an impact Hulk Hogan had. Say what you want to about the guy. Uh, and, you know, I had worked in the WWE in 1989, and I was there part of when Hulkamania was crazy. It was, it was you know, it, it, was, it was incredible. Uh, so it was a big deal. And putting him in flair, in hindsight, yeah, you know, you can string it out a little bit. You can probably do a little bit better. But as our old fucking cliche goes, Conrad, it is what it is, or it was what it was. Right. It, it was what it was for sure. And it's funny to always kind of look back and compare and contrast the WWF and WCW. Yeah. In the case of WCW, they're debuting one of the biggest stars, maybe the biggest star, of course, uh, in the history of the sport, Hulk Hogan. Uh, on the other channel, in the same week, the WWF is debuting Brian Lee dressed up like The Undertaker. So huh. you've got a fake Undertaker debuting and then you've got the real hulk hogan on the other channel uh it gives you a, a glimpse into where both companies are at the time creatively uh and from a roster standpoint at least in my mind uh the debut happens on wcw saturday night it's june 11th and they're doing lots of cut-ins from disney world in orlando and uh, for the entire show the announcers with pre-tape matches from atlanta going on emphasize nothing really but Hogan's arrival 
calling it the biggest signing in sports history and the biggest day in the history of wrestling, which may be the first time that you started to really hammer that. Uh, yeah. Towards the end of that show, Hogan comes out to the ticker take parade and, uh, that red and yellow Dodge Viper car that we're all so familiar with, uh, Jimmy Hart running around in front of him like a maniac. And there's about 200 fans dressed up in WCW merchandise that you have to assume was passed out by the staff. Um, so, I mean, this is what this business is really all about. I mean, they do a good job in making this seem like a major happening. And it was. Uh, after all of this, Hogan gives a speech talking about coming to WCW and basically uh, about the unification of the WCW world and international titles at the June 23rd Clash of the Champions and trying to use wrestling uh, history in a big way. He calls the WCW belt uh, one that was held by gorgeous George Luthez and Harley race. Um, we'll let that just sink in for a minute, but anyway, <laughs> um, they're clearly building to something that's really, really big here. And a lot of people start to debate whether or not he can actually draw, uh, the point eight seven buy rate they need to break even, uh, and WCW officials on their own start to expect a one 0.0 buy rate for the show, which is basically double of what they had been doing, but that would more than pay for what they needed for Hogan, but it would exceed any pay-per-view in the prior 12 months with the exception of WrestleMania and SummerSlam. Do you remember thinking that it was possible that you guys could hit that 1.0 figure, Tony, or did you think it was an uphill battle? I thought it was an uphill battle. Uh, I thought that, uh, we had to get established as a major uh, company, and we weren't established as one yet compared to the WWE. You know, we, we yeah, and you do this too, and I, and I understand it because this is how we do our research. We take so much into consideration what uh, the people in the, the smart marks or the dirt sheet people thought. But at that time, I really think that was a very small part of our business. I thought we needed to go further than that and pick up people that were casual fans more than just the hardcore wrestling fans. Uh, so I thought it was an uphill battle. I didn't think we could do it immediately, but I thought down the road that it was a great starting point. Now we had the, uh, the biggest star. Hell, we had the two biggest stars. We had Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Uh, and uh, that was uh, the beginning of some, something great. So I, I never was, as, as a producer, as an announcer, because I... I didn't look at the budget on a daily basis, or I was not involved in buy rates and everything. I never did really uh, stand on one foot than the other when the buy rates came in. I mean, we all found out about it uh, as they came in, but uh, I, I didn't think it would be like all of a sudden from from A to Z, boom, we're going to have a one-point buy rate or point one-point buy rate or whatever. I just think that it was an uphill battle at that time. Meltzer would write, for all the hype and talk, the results of big money signings of Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan were supposed to be able to increase TV ratings. Yet with their addition, not to mention holding the main singles title up to build up Flair Steamboat for free on TV and the frequent Hogan interviews, ratings for the last month were exactly the same level they were one year ago. Yeah. Uh, so Meltzer has his doubts that, you know, for whatever reason, as we've all talked about before, the wrestling business is cyclical and Meltzer starts to believe here that, Hey, Hogan's not going to be able to do much, uh, to change this. 
Um, he also points out that WCW received a significant amount of mainstream publicity for this announcement. Uh-huh. There's lots of stories running across the wires in several spots on CNN, which of course is a Turner product. Right. Uh, on Monday, there was a press conference that was taped for airing on June 25th. And this one would include Ted Turner himself showing up to sign Flair and Hogan to a contract for the match in Orlando, which is the first time Turner had ever involved himself in a wrestling match, uh, sort of angle like this. It gave it tons of mainstream publicity, of course. Uh, he also, he being Hogan, appeared on a live late night sports call-in show on CNN, the very first wrestler to ever appear in that spot for CNN like that. Um, t- let's talk about just for a minute here, the magnitude of Ted Turner involving himself in a signing like this. Obviously we've always heard he's a big wrestling fan, but he's always kind of shot away from this stuff. And now here he's front and center. Everybody in Turner knew that flair Hogan, this is the big money deal that we've been looking for since we bought the company. Is that right? That's right. I think wrestling fans thought that too, uh, that this was a big match that, that everyone wanted to see. Again, you can't put a, you can't put a fucking number on how much all that mainstream media exposure was worth. Sure. You, you really can't. Uh, ratings the same. Okay. Ratings are the same. But in, in reality, more people probably know about it, WCW, than ever before. Uh, and having Ted Turner a part of it, uh, once again, just made it a, a bigger, bigger deal. I, I understand why, why Meltzer says all he, all he says, because he never liked Hogan, and he liked Flair, and I understand that. Uh, and I'm not here to defend everything that we did with Hulk Hogan either. Uh, but, again, that mainstream push that we got, you can't put a price on that. You can't put a number on that. You can't put a price on that. Uh, and obviously, to me, that's the beginning the beginning of what we became a couple of years later. Well, the uh, first ratings come out for Hulk Hogan and WCW and Meltzer writes the earliest returns on the Hogan signing, the television rating for last weekend can't be viewed as positive. The weekend after the company received the most mainstream media attention in its history, building to the live airing of Hogan signing on Saturday, the show did a 2.4 rating. Well, that figure is larger than the typical Saturday audience this time of year. It's the same 2.4 that Flair Steamboat did one month earlier, which was considered a disappointment at the time as well. Uh, So all signs are pointing to this not being a huge success. So WCW starts to pull out all the marketing hype they can. Uh, Meltzer even writes, Hogan is going all out, calling in all of his markers for hyping this show. This past week, Hogan filmed interviews with George Foreman and Shaquille O'Neal, both of whom are scheduled to appear at the show uh, airing on TBS in the weeks leading up to the show. While not confirmed, there have also been serious negotiations to bring in Major League celebrities to Orlando as well, with Mr. T and Wesley Snipes being the two most likely. Uh, There have also been negotiations, perk your ears up here, kids, to use Mike Tyson as part Mm. of the pre-show buildup as well. Although, from all reports, that deal has not been completed as of press time. Although Tyson's name may help in garnering publicity, there could be a backlash against using Tyson since he was in prison 
and just denied his release. Um, <laughs> so in the midst of all this stuff, we're still WCW, aren't we? <laughs> we certainly are. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, let's go to prison. Can we? Can he get a, a work release for like uh, two hours? Okay, and we we promise the fucker won't get lost in the crowd. We'll send him back. Good God, isn't that amazing? Thank you, thank you for bringing my ass down. What the fuck? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about it on the show, but the biggest star of all, at least from your perspective, was uh, Anoki, right? Yeah, fuck that. Come on. <laughs> when Gene Oakland announces Antonio Anoki, people just raised up their right leg and all farted in unison. <laughs> Thank God that Steve Regal came in and made uh, with all the glitter on his back and made a fucking deal out of it. Let me ask your opinion here. Uh, I know you don't have the data in front of you, (laughs) but the biggest show in WCW history, and you could argue wrestling history at that point, Flair Hogan on pay-per-view number one. We're using the word history a lot here. What? uh, Okay. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> what do you think they did in ticket sales the very first day they went on sale, June seventeenth? I, I don't. I, I don't know. I'm not a good. I'm not a good person to ask that. Tell me. Thirty thousand dollars. Wow. So what you're saying is that that was a popcorn fart day one. Well, Meltzer writes that gate is larger than all but a few WCW house shows have done over the last year and a half. Although right. ringside at a hundred dollars, that's not necessarily that many tickets. Uh, right. It's not nearly the level of advance that recent WWF pay-per-views have sh- shows have done, uh, but there were a lot of tickets, particularly in the first few rows held back for Hogan VIPs, uh, which when it comes to posters or noticeable booing for Hogan on television, uh, this stacking the deck, so to speak, because of all the money invested in Hogan was not only done at the press conference, as was obvious, but apparently done for all the CNN call-in appearances where it was carefully worked out ahead of time and it would be extremely difficult for negative calls to get through. Uh, uh, there was a snafu uh, where <laughs> they actually talk about Flair having combined both titles at Clash of the Champions. And this airs inside the control center for WCW programs before Flair actually beats Sting to join the titles. So. Yeah. On June 20th, a furious Eric Bischoff holds court to talk about this main event snafu. Yeah. Do you remember that moment in particular? This is the biggest in history. You're getting all hands on deck, and you're still fucking spoiling results on your own show. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not so sure this was the one, but there was one of those that happened that he threatened to fire me. Uh he told me that he thought I was too much into my kids' uh, little league baseball because I was a coach and was not giving enough time to wrestling. Uh, and uh, yeah, he was he was on a freaking warpath. I'm sorry, he was on a fucking warpath, uh, and uh, he was going to get my ass. And, and to be honest with you, I, as the supervising producer at that time, put a lot of trust in guys who worked under me. And thought that they could go ahead and uh, get it done, get the get the stuff done with without us exposing shit. But we exposed some stuff, and that I'm thinking that was probably because I was the person to answer to all this. That was my fault. So, 
WCW would wind up spending more than double the amount of money for advertising for Bash at the Beach than for any pay-per-view in its history. Uh, For example, the first bill was a $75,000 half-page ad in the USA Today on June 27th. Yeah. Uh, so they're pulling out all the stops and that press conference we talked about earlier with Ted Turner was very well received. And Meltzer noted that he thought flair totally stole the show quote. He may have turned too many times for people to take his turn seriously, but he is an incredible interview, especially when he's as motivated as he is now. And flair actually did a little bit of a speech prior to the pay-per-view that was reported in the torch where he said with everything that he had done, this was the biggest night in the history of his career. And to keep that in mind when you were out there tonight, do you remember Flair giving a speech to the boys prior to the pay-per-view like that? No, I was not privy to those boys speeches. I was completely removed from that. I do not remember that. It's not because I'm an old fuck and I can't remember things now. It's because I was not there. Well, tight on that. All right. I was not there. Uh, tickets did not actually sell out to the show. They did wind up, uh, papering it a little bit. So I want to briefly talk about the rest of the roster and kind of what's going on just to give you a frame of reference at the time. Uh, two cold Scorpio had been released from WCW and he was doing a series of radio interviews where he was essentially taking WCW to task. Yeah. Uh, He complained about being stuck in a tag team with Bagwell when he was in WCW saying that Bagwell was a nice guy who tried hard, but quote, couldn't lace my boots. Uh, he also, uh, acknowledged that he was fired for failing a series of drug tests. Meltzer notes. It was believed to be not for cocaine or steroids, which would make you think it was probably marijuana. Uh, he claimed the promotion was selective in who it tested and when, um, did anyone really give a shit about that interviews or those interviews? No, well, I think he was trying to point out that he felt quote, in my opinion, the drug policy is BS. Scorpio said the policy is the first failed test means one has to pay a few grand and attend a class. The second failed test is a one week suspension. And the third is termination. Uh, and then he starts to go into business for himself a little bit and say that he right. thinks at this point, uh, because of the racism in WCW, Pez Wiley oh is a better wrestler than Ric Flair. Yeah. Do you remember how Scorpio was received for these comments? Yeah, I, that was not, that was not received well. And I, there was a lot of heat because of those comments. The the flip side is that I, mean, I think he came across uh, because of his comments to anybody who would listen as just a, a disgruntled guy uh, who was trying to rip the business. And I I didn't give it much credence at all. I I, I thought it was just a, a a chance to go out there and first of all I thought it was dumb to do that, uh, and because you just try you don't try to burn your bridges. I don't think. But number two, I, I just think it, it had no impact on any, in anything. I, I don't know what he was trying to accomplish there. If he was trying to get himself more money or if he was trying to expose WCW, uh, I don't think people gave a fuck about it, basically. Well, people would eventually give a fuck about this in hindsight. Jean-Paul Levesque would be announced as a newcomer from France, making his wow. WCW debut on May 31st in Dalton. And June 2nd in Gainesville, Georgia. This despite the fact that he's been with the company for a few months working as terrorizing. Uh, I can't help but ask, Tony, looking back, in a million years, is there anything that shocks you more than Jean-Paul Levesque 
who's wrestling for you here in Dalton and Gainesville, Georgia, going on to become Triple H, in your most wildest imagination, would that even enter the realm of possibility? I thought he was going to be a big star. I I thought he was, first of all, he was a a great kid, a very personable guy. I thought he could work. I thought he was a, I thought he was a decent talent. Uh, and I thought with the right push, he would become a big star and damn it. I was right. Right. (laughs) Because he became a big star. I mean, you know, uh, in a, in a very, in a, in a very similar way, he was kind of like, uh, Jean-Paul Levesque was kind of like stunning Steve Austin, wasn't he? No, he absolutely was. Yeah. Again, it, it just showed that creatively, uh, we did not have the, the tools that the WWE had at that time or would have because Triple H became, uh, obviously, a, a, uh, one of the great stars of all time. And he was smart enough to marry into the uh, McMahon family. Not a bad move, my friend. A tremendous move, absolutely. I mean, and uh, and he had his picture at the White House with the president recently, but right? You, but you remembered, uh, or, or at least in your perspective, um, he was a good dude. Oh my God! I remember at uh, we were at center stage, and it was early, and he was sitting up in in one of the seats, and he was talking to Pinter, and Pinter said come up here. I want you to meet him. And I went up there and sat with he and Penzer. We had a great conversation. And I remember thinking, this is a hell of a guy. This guy is not only a, a nice guy, but he's really sharp about the business. And he was, he was uh, a really a personable guy. Uh, so I, I knew he had a lot on the ball and, uh, I enjoyed talking to him a lot. He didn't return my phone call last year. But uh, I enjoyed talking to him a lot. Who would? I mean, you know. Who would? Well, you you would, motherfucker, wouldn't you, if I call you? Oh, of course. Well, there you go. But, I mean, I know when you call me, you're not going to be begging for a job. I mean, it's. Well, I wasn't (laughs) begging. All right. All right. I was begging for a job, but it wasn't an announcing job. I want to make that clear, okay? I was begging for a job. And you know why I don't need an announcing job anymore? Why is that, Tony? Because I got this fucking podcast. Roll time. Because I got you, son of a bitch, okay? And not only that, there's a lot of people out there, and I get this all the time on Twitter. Uh, would you like to be part of my podcast? Can you help us with our podcast? Can you help us develop what we're doing? And, and listen, I do appreciate everybody doing a wrestling podcast because to me, it tells me that number one, you love the business. Uh, number two, uh, you got an idea that you'd like to get more involved in the business. We've got an idea for you, Conrad, because and I talked about this at the beginning of the, uh, beginning of this podcast that coming up in the month of August, for three days, there is going to be the world's largest gathering, the world's largest gathering of new and veteran podcasters or anyone looking to start their own podcast the right way. This is the way to do it if you want to start it. You go to Anaheim, California, and join over 2,000 podcasters from around the world. This August, three days of workshops, panels, ready, and parties. That's right, and parties, because if you're a podcaster, you'd like to have a lot of fun. And I've partied with Conrad, and I can't hang. I've partied with Conrad <laughs> and Bruce Pritchard and uh, uh, Dave Silva. I can't hang with those guys. But in Anaheim, the conference will offer over 100 sessions on topics ranging from the technical aspects of setting up your equipment 
and the audio production to marketing uh, and getting your current show on the air. The Expo Hall features 50 podcast services and equipment providers. So whether you're in the market for a microphone or trying to find out where your host, where to host your podcast, anyone who matters will be on site to help you out. Now, here's what we got for you by listening to What Happened When with Conrad Thompson and Tony Schiavone. Or with Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson, he would rather say it that way. You can learn more at podcastmovement.com. Use the promo code TONY, T-O-N-Y, to save $100 off of registration. And Conrad, you and I talked about this uh, at uh, WrestleCon, about how big a deal it was. Uh, And this is uh, because, as we know, the podcast movement in the country is, especially in pro wrestling, is really hot right now. I feel very fortunate that uh, our podcast has been doing so well. I really do. It means people want to listen to what I had to say, and it means that I put up with your shit once a week. Uh, But this podcast movement in Anaheim in August is a hell of a deal. I suggest if you want to start your own podcast, this is where you start. Because the more you learn about something, the better off you are. So make sure you go to podcastmovement.com and use the promo code Tony, T-O-N-Y. And a lot of times it's not only what you know, it's who you know. And uh, as Tony said, there is going to be a who's who here. I get lots of uh, tweets and direct messages from fans and listeners who says, you know, hey, uh, how can I have a really successful podcast? It seems like everything you touch turns to gold. What's your number one tip? Uh, Well, how about this? Get somebody on it. Uh, I've done shows with Ric Flair. I've done shows with Bruce Pritchard, and I've done shows with Tony Schiavone. Obviously, Flair being the biggest name of all. But in the end, I did a show with somebody, and everybody who's anybody is going to be at this conference. Podcast Movement. Check it out. Podcastmovement.com. Promo code Tony. Yes, sir, buddy. And it's uh, it's for podcasters. And it's by podcasters, and that's what the big deal is. August 23rd, 24th, and 25th of this year in Anaheim. And, and you know, you can go there, and you can uh, you can go to Disney, too, Disneyland. Hit them up, podcastmovement.com. You'll be glad you did. So let's go ahead and have everybody turn their attention to the WWE Network. If you haven't already, go ahead and fire that up, and I'm going to give you the timestamp in just a moment. Uh, but first, let's give you a chance to go ahead and pull that up by mentioning all the buildup from a celebrity standpoint that they were really starting to pull out here. Um, for sure, we've got Shaquille O'Neal, George Foreman, Mr. T, Hank Aaron, uh, and apparently there were attempts to get Mike Tyson, Sylvester Stallone, and Wesley Snipes, but some of that falls by the wayside, of course. But Hogan does manage to get onto a lot of mainstream television and not just CNN products. Regis and Kathy Lee on July 11th and Jay Leno on July 12th. Uh, so there is a lot going on to promote this show. Yeah. Has, Ed, let, me, let me ask you this question and ask everybody else this question. Had anything WCW been on Jay Leno or Regis and Kathy Lee prior to that? Not that I recall, no. Exactly right. All right. So there figure out that as far as the worth of Hulk Hogan. So let's talk about the uh, show itself. We open up the show um, with the singing of our national anthem. Yeah. From mm. Darren Norwood. Yeah. He did a good job. Looked, I liked his 80s mullet. 
did a great job. I need you to, in a few words, describe Darren Norwood's look here in 1994. In a few words, Mm -hmm. uh, 1983. Well, I love his, um, his American flag shirt. Yeah. I love the haircut. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Okay, it's all. It's all. I, I thought it was uh, kind of at at that time, and I guess even looking at it again, I thought it was kind of too late. It was uh, something from a. It was something from a MTV nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty four video, and this was nineteen ninety four. That was my thought. His. Uh, what's your favorite Darren Norwood song? Are you big into? <laughs> if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have you. Cowboys don't cry. If I ever love again. What really tickled your fancy, Darren Norwood uh, style? I, his favorite, my favorite Darren Norwood song, uh, and it's one that I've been playing actually uh, because I had the uh, I had the cassette and I've been playing on my uh, on Spotify, which I have on my iPhone. It was uh, if I hadn't married Lois, I'd be a happy man. Sure, that 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 was my favorite one, uh, which and which has a lot of meaning for me, Conrad. Um, so that was my favorite Norwood song. What was your favorite Norwood song? Uh, I'll have to admit, I had no fucking idea who this was. Uh, neither, neither did fucking I. In my research, I have discovered that, uh, he passed away, which is is not, um, you know, something that we want to make light of, but no, it's not the, the, I'm just curious how the, who the fuck is he and why is he here? Like, this is not a name I've ever heard of. Why is this necessary? Is it? viewed as well it's a big show so we need michael buffer and we need someone to sing the national anthem exactly that's that's the reason and i want to say this about national anthems okay and i may get a lot of shit about this okay you will will, but go ahead and do it anyway okay i'm national anthemed out and i only say that because i do minor league baseball games we do 142 of those and i hear it all the time and I hear because of in this day and age, because of what of, of American Idol and who wants to be a star and everybody with YouTube trying their moment. I've heard singers come up and and just butcher the national anthem. Uh, and I think the national anthem should be a minute and 30 played by a marching band. Uh, that's what I think it should be. So you, so you, I, you think I'm that nat- he should have nat- been here? Uh, uh, there should have been a marching band here? Well, I'm just national anthem out of people singing the national anthem. He, okay, you know, let me tell you this. Even today, even in the fucking Super Bowl, who sings the national anthem doesn't mean fuck all. Mm. It doesn't. Mm. It doesn't mean fuck all. And I'm sorry. I'm, it's not. I'm, I'm not talking about the country. I'm not talking about being not being a patriot. I'm talking about who gives a fuck. Who gives a fuck? Okay, if Beyonce is singing the national anthem of the Super Bowl, do you think more people are going to tune into the Super Bowl because of that? No. Okay, so when the national anthem comes on at a big sporting event, you know what I do? I abstain. Not because of the national anthem, but because I don't give a fuck about who's singing the national anthem. And I don't when it's really big like the Super Bowl, and I didn't when Darren Nordwood sang it back in 1984 in Orlando. There you go. That's all I got to say about the national anthem. All right. But I am a I am a patriot. All right, damn it. But I don't. So, so when someone says, "Hey, Shivani, who sang the national anthem?" You know what I say? 
I don't give a fuck because I don't. Well, you're going to give a fuck about what we're about to cover. So cruise All on right. over in your timestamp to four minutes and 43 seconds. So if you've got 1994's Bash at the Beach pulled up on your WWE network, the timestamp you're looking for is four minutes and 43 seconds. I'll give you a minute to get there. We'll all press play together. Uh, but first, let's recap uh, the poll results in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. It got a 46.7% thumbs up, a 28.9% thumbs down, and a 24.4% thumbs in the middle. Tony, overall, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle for Bash of the Beach 94. To me, thumbs up. Uh, I thought that Steamboat and uh, Stunning Steve was wonderful. Absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't on par with Steamboat and Savage, uh, but it was wonderful. Uh, that match I, barely is edged out by Flair Hogan in the best match poll, which might be one yeah. of the only times Hogan has won the best match poll in the Observer uh, yeah. But Flair Hogan barely beat out Steamboat Austin. Uh, both of those matches were a lot better than people expected them to be. Yeah. Um, and we should go ahead and point out that despite all of the naysaying up front, uh, Meltzer goes with this. Make no mistake about it. Bash of the Beach was a huge success. I don't think it was close to the best pay-per-view show WCW has put on of late, but it accomplished what it needed to, at least as far as the first event went. So the Hogan signing was a success. The Bash drew an estimated 1.02 buy rate, the biggest buy rate since 1991, or slightly double more than that of Slamboree. That would mean it was ordered in around 230,000 homes with a pay-per-view gross of $2.58 million. Hogan's approximate cut between the pay-per-view and live gate would be 680000 which isn't bad for one night's work especially when his opponent did most of the work in the ring. Hogan deserves great credit for doing great job coast-to-coast, getting on network talk shows, calling in his markers for the celebrity tie-in for the last-minute hype. As far as the actual profit goes, if we go under the assumption that a typical pay-per-view needs $800,000 as a break-even mark, the last WCW pay-per-view did about a $400,000 profit. Starcade with Flair Vader probably did a $700,000 profit. Throwing in Hogan's share, the extra money spent on advertising and expenses for this, this show probably did about a $550,000 profit or more than a typical show. But even with the larger audience and the largest pay-per-view gross ever, the profit wasn't as much as two of the more recent shows in the last seven months. If Hogan can maintain this level for the next two shows, his signing is a success. Uh, Last year when he came back with Titan, the audience was cut almost in half for his second pay-per-view. And if anything drops below 0.85 the next two shows, this won't be viewed as short-term successful. Uh, so he's still super critical here that it might fail. Uh, it is worth mentioning as far as tickets go here. The show drew about 14,000 fans to the Orlando Arena, of which 9,100 were paid with a gate in the neighborhood of $140,000, which is the largest gate for a WCW card since 89 during the Flair Funk feud. Uh, the reason, of course, is clear. It's Hogan, and they didn't do a big a big build underneath for a strong undercard. Uh, the The crowd was there to see Hogan and, to a lesser extent, Flair. And the heat underneath, Meltzer would say, was subpar, even when the work itself was really strong, particularly in the Steamboat-Austin match. So, you know, when you guys were hoping you needed .87, you were hoping for a 1, and you got a 1.02, do you remember there being high fives around the office as if we did it? 
Yeah, we did. I, I thought we did. I, I don't know as as WCW. Uh, I don't know what anybody what Meltzer was looking for. I, I do think I don't. I, I'm listening to your comments from Meltzer. I don't know if he was critical about where it would go more than he was being very honest about where he thought it could go. It could, you know, it could it could go a lot further. And and damn it, it did eventually, didn't it? No, it absolutely did. It was yeah. certainly uh, not exactly what everyone uh, was expecting leading into it based on the way it yeah. was promoted. Uh, let's cruise over to the WWE Network now. Hopefully you've got your timestamp there. Uh, we're four minutes and 43 seconds in. Tony, are you ready on your end? Yes. Well, uh, uh, let's tell the fans what we're going to call here. We're going to actually call the buildup for Hogan Flair. And uh, I'd rather not give a big a big spoiler here. Okay. Uh, it, you should see on your screen right now at four minutes and 43 seconds, Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Mean Gene Okerlund all looking at the camera. And when we press play in just a moment, we're going to be recapping what happened on WCW Saturday night that helped build Flair Hogan. And it it's too good for us not to do commentary over. So in just a moment, when I press play, Tony Schiavone is going to go into retro announcer mode, something that you miss if you grew up with Tony as the voice of your wrestling childhood. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to lay out a little bit until he lambasts me to participate. But trust me, you want Tony's call on this. And we're going to press play on this in three, two, one, now. Sting in the ring here on WCW Saturday night. He's got the Scorpion Deadlock on the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. It's over. No, apparently it's not fucking over. Wait a minute. We're waiting on an angle. We are. Who the fuck? What the hell? Oh, my goodness. It's a it's a fan in the ring. It's a fan in the ring. It's an ugly-ass fan in the ring. And, oh, raking sting across the edge. Here comes Hulk Hogan. How did that sound? Was that exciting? Here comes Hulk Hogan. He's got the fan up in the air. Where's, you know I, You know what I was thinking right at this time? Really? Okay, if this is a fan, where the fuck is security? Where the fuck? Uh-oh. Hulk Hogan is pointing at the fan. <laughs> that is what the <laughs> Oh, who the hell is that? It is. Hi, Mr. Ass. Sensational. Sensuous. Whatever you want to call her, Sherry. And Hulk Hogan tears off the shirt to get the Sherry. And Ric Flair comes from behind. Holy shit. You know. Sherry had uh, for a, for a girl had a lot of balls. I have to give her that. May she rest in peace. And Flair now working on the leg of Hulk Hogan. Sting selling the eyes, and Mister T comes in. How much do you think this spot costs us? Mister T coming in, and Flair and Sherry leave the building. Absolutely. I always thought that Lois maybe should do a run in like this. Well, let's keep it going here. Uh, let's go ahead and introduce our next match. And coming up, if you've been paying attention, uh, you'll know that we've already had the dark match in the house happen with Brian and Brad Armstrong uh, defeating Bobby Eaton and Steve Kern. Uh, that was said to be a star and a quarter. 
The next match we're going to be covering, though, is Lord Steven Regal, and he's going to be in a television title match with Johnny B. Bad. And uh, I feel like this is a worthy match for us to do commentary for. Uh, I got to tell you, I absolutely love that Sherry Martell angle when yeah. he has the extended atomic drop, which you would think, you know, when a woman takes the atomic drop from Hulk Hogan, they'd be down for a while, but she just pops right up and she's okay. But I did yeah. like, especially now that we know that pasta mania is running wild. Well, that Hogan had a whole handful of that ass meat for an extended yeah. period of time. Yeah, it was, it was ass meat on top of linguine, which I understand he liked. Hey, I, I just, I, let me say this about, and, and, and I really think, the, the no sell by Sherry on this, I, I think Sherry was uh, as perceived as, because of her wrestling background, right, a little bit tougher than most valets. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, for sure. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. I, and here, here we go. Here we go. Let's get serious. Right. Let's go. Call I'm it. pretty excited, first of all, Conrad, about standing at ringside with guys like Bobby the Brain Heenan and Mean Gene Okerlund. And now here comes, I'm a bad man. Johnny B. Bad, Dusty Rhodes says, that motherfucker looks like Little Richard. We need to make, we need to, re- when you're hot, you're hot. I, I give Johnny B. Bad some credit here. He He really worked on his gimmick. And the more you work on your gimmick, the further you're going to go with it. Yeah, he would agree with me. I understand that uh, Mark Merrow is quite a motivational speaker uh, right now. Have you heard that? How motivated Conrad? are you for this match right now, Tony Schiavone? What? Say that again? How motivated are you for this match right now? Uh, well, not much. Uh, the, with the exception of uh, I always have a lot of uh, great things to say about Steve Regal. Uh, Lord Steven Regal, anytime he wrestles, I'm pretty excited about it. But would you look at the fucking glitter? Holy shit. Did we overdo the glitter in this or what? I mean, this, can you, this feels like it is uh, Friday night at the strip club, the amount of <laughs> glitter that's right there. What, yes. what, what's going on right now, Tony? Uh, right now, Johnny B. Oh, Johnny B. Bad grabbed his Johnson, uh, and he's going to go around, see which one, which side wants the, the glitter. And this is kind of... Uh, this has kind of got a little sexual overtones here, don't you think? When you know, he I, when I watched this this week, when, I didn't when think he, that when at he, all. See, he grabs it and he holds it right there. Notice where he holds it. He holds it kind of. He holds the glitter gun kind of right there. So, t- talk right. to me about what he's doing with the shaft here. Okay, he's got the shaft in his right hand. Okay, he wanted to make sure that the sh- you're you're sucker me into this. Want to make sure that the shaft is is up and now it's up and seeing he's holding it kind of right there. What would Klondike Bill think about Johnny B. Bad going to different corners and shooting okay. his gun off at the crowd, covering oh, he, him in his spray? He would, he would think it'd be great. He'd think it'd be awesome. I wish I could do that at the age I am right now. That's what Bill would say. He would be all for that. And now, so much for the fucking glitter. Let's bring in the man himself, Lord Stephen Regal and Sir William. You know what? I always liked Bill Dundee, even though he was a little sawed-off fucking runt. I really did. He's a good guy. And here is Lord Stephen Regal. No one can display on his face disdain like Stephen Regal. I agree. Yeah. I mean, he was so good at that. Have and, you ever seen someone do thumbs down with their whole palm open until right then in your life? Yeah. You know that. That, guy, that motherfucker wearing a tie-dyed Mickey Mouse shirt can't even give a thumbs down properly. He's got his fucking hand out flat pointing down. Like, I don't know yeah. if he's like doing yeah. a special wave or what. 
He was part of Darren Norwich family. He had ringside seats. Mm. Uh, all right, here we go. Lord Stephen Regal. My immediately thought of my, and I remember this one. I'm thinking, what the hell is all this glitter still doing in the ring? Why can't we get Klondike or someone with a fucking broom to get this stuff out? I, I, I don't understand that. It would have only taken a second. It would, oh, it would have taken like two minutes, and it wouldn't have hurt this match. Shut up, Johnny. We don't give a fuck about what you're saying in the camera. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, you know, I always, I always, that always bothered me uh, because we were talking, and if they were going to say something relevant, I wanted to shut up, and it kind of was kind of awkward at times. Don't you think for yep. us to be talking? All right, here we go. All right, I'm really excited about working with Heenan, and again, Lord Steven Regal does that. I <laughs> uh, always liked how you started that. There you go. Pivot and hook up with Johnny B. Bad. Johnny's showing a lot of a lot of fire and a lot of vigor here, and they go with a collar and elbow tie-up, and they're back in the corner, and Nick Patrick, with a fresh buzz cut, sends him away. Great reaction by Lord Steven Regal. Uh, I do say I still stay in contact with Regal. Uh, he's one of the funniest men alive. And he's uh, still works for the WWE uh, with NXT. Uh, this is a full arm dragon twist, and Johnny B. Bad reverses it, flips out of it for no apparent reason except to get the fans excited, and goes to it again. It's worth mentioning here that uh, Steven Regal is 26 years old. Is he really? Yeah. He looked th- look 33 there to me. Take over and front face lock, side headlock, Lord Steven Regal. This is for the World Television Championship. And as you can tell now, because it really has to get your attention, there's glitter all over the back of Regal. It looks like if he went home like this after a night at the strip club, uh, he would have to tell his wife that he had been out hunting unicorns because he would have no other excuse to be this covered in glitter. They, nobody would buy. I've been wrestling Johnny B. Bad. No, you haven't. You've yeah. been in the champagne room. <laughs> oh, great leg trip that time. And Johnny B. Bad comes right back up. You know, I thought this was I, I, the beginning of this match is really a great contrast in styles. And I think he both wrestlers, wrestlers are doing it. Johnny B. Bad wants to pick up the, atten- uh, the uh, intensity, and Regal wants to wrestle. So I thought both wrestlers did a great, very good job here of trying to get their styles over, and both doing a good job working here. You know, for uh, not being in the business for too long, I thought Johnny B. Bad was a pretty good performer. Well, I think you're the only one. He has fucking struggled every time he grabbed an arm here. Like, he had no fucking idea what he was doing. Well, the, all right, okay, I understand that. But you got to realize that he's working with a guy who knows how to work. Well, don't get me wrong. He looks great. Okay. His character's awesome. The way he okay. grabbed that shaft and shot the whole crowd with it, that was awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that was tremendous. And see right there. That's look at outstanding. Regal. One. And a reversal. Not a, well, what a bad reversal. Couldn't hook the leg. And now everybody's covered in glitter. So, again, a great job of booking here for me to put someone like Johnny B. Bad in with a oh, guy like Steven Regal that could work. Absolutely. So yeah. St- Steven Regal at this point could have a match with Tony Schiavone, and people would think it was good. I wouldn't go that far. Um, <laughs> chat me up about Johnny B. Bad's hair. I need to know, did WCW pay for him a stylist, or was he in the back with three cans of Aquanet wearing it out himself? <laughs> we had hairstylists in the back. At least eventually we would. 
that would would give you haircuts and give you uh, hairstyles and make you up and uh, massage your back and your traps a little bit and make oh, you feel good. Oh, gosh. So did you yeah. ever get a happy ending backstage with one of those not, massages? No, no, I did not. I did not. Now, stop that. Hey, speaking of happy endings, Linda Hogan's no, front and center. Front yeah, I noticed. Yeah, and she's got my attention. Yeah. Man, I always thought Linda Hogan was a a very voluptuous woman, didn't you? Oh, who would deny that? Oh, and back to the corner they go once again. And again, Regal doing a great job of slowing things down. Uh, to me, I, I just think this glitter just kind of takes away from the entire match. I Maybe I'm over overstating this. I don't know. But I think it's, and I don't know what the fuck he's doing clapping here. And fans are kind of getting with it here, though, don't you think? No. First, okay. First match out of the gate. They're clapping. Look, look, look on the other side. I'm just kidding, Tony. Of course okay. they're into it. Everybody's into it when you're on the stick. <laughs> okay. Uh, now they go back to again. Oh, he used the hair. Come on, referee. God damn it. He used the hair. Fucking referees have been blind since day one. And and I didn't know that Nick Patrick was balding until this show. I know. That's why you should never shave your head down because you'll show up your ball patches. Over the top, Regal, Johnny B. Bad. I think I called that a Mexican arm drag when that happened. A Mexican arm drag. Here's, Where I came out of that, I don't know. Here's the best part. Had you ever even seen Lucha Libre at this point? No, and never would. Yeah. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking, if Mark Mara wore a mask, what would his Mexican luchador character name be? <laughs> Give me a chance to think of it. Uh, El Papo. Oh, see, I was going to go with like El Fabuloso Mulato. <laughs> Fabuloso Mulato or El Big Sticko Papo. Do you understand where I'm going with that? Uh, Meanwhile, Regal yes. doing a great job of selling the arm and. Uh, Sir William calling timeout. Calling timeout. You do realize, Conrad, there's no timeout in professional wrestling. Well, of how course much, there is. Well, how, Regal just had his manager, Sir William, call one. How many times do we use that lame, that lame one? Where's he going? Yeah. Where's he going? Oh, shit. Well, I, you know, he's had enough of this shit. He can walk back and. He's trying to get a job. He's trying to walk to Stanford. <laughs> I'm tired of working in the curtain jerker with fucking Mark Mario. Get me out of here. Yeah, if you've got a uh, if you've got a, another promotion uh, that trains wrestlers, I'll work in the back and do it, and I'll do it with uh, John Paul Levesque, if that's yes. okay. <laughs> oh my God! And there you go. There's one of Regal's European uppercuts. uppercuts. Yeah, is it's a European uppercut one? And he can he can lay him in. Man, I always thought th- those things. And I know he's a great worker, but those things always look pretty stiff to me, didn't you? Well, well they you were. Think yeah. Yeah. How about yeah. this? Would you rather take a Stephen Regal European uppercut or a Ric Flair chop if you had to pick one? Uh, I would probably want to take a Flair chop because that would be on the chest. A European uppercut would probably catch you on the throat and hurt your neck and your jaw. Great reversal by Johnny B. Bad here. Yeah, when you watch matches like this, uh, everyone out there on the podcast world, when you're watching matches like this, you got to realize that you got a guy like Regal who can work, kind of like a guy like Flair, but it can also call a match. Yeah, and that's what that's one of the it's uh, one of the great things about wrestling, and, and one of the really underrated things about wrestling, working with a guy who knows how to basically choreograph a match. That's being choreographed as we go along. There's a lot of, you know, improvisation going on here, 
But there's also a, a lot of guys who are uh, know what they're doing, and, and Regal is one of those guys. Oh, elbow right to the mush. Oh, and an uppercut. Holy smokes. And Regal now will try to set him up for a, is this a vertical souple? That may have been the first time I've ever said souple. Well, we're glad you did. Thank you very much. God bless Gordon Soley. Headbutt, and Johnny B. Bad goes down on his ass. You know, you know what the greatest thing that Johnny B. Bad really, and I've always liked Johnny, but you know what the greatest thing that he brought to professional wrestling was? What's that? His wife. Oh, for sure. No <laughs> that, doubt that, about yeah, it. Absolutely his wife. That was the greatest thing ever brought to professional wrestling. And now Regal, full-arm dragon twist on, and a fireman's carry takeover. See, I remember that move too, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I remember some of those moves. Yeah, I, let me say this, and, and you saw me standing there with uh, Gene Oakland and Bobby Heenan, and, and later I'm going to be working with Jesse the Body Ventura. You know how big of a night that was for me personally to be working with all those guys and yeah. to be doing a Hulk Hogan Ric Flair match. I, I, I really was legitimately a lot of times uh, my excitement was bullshit, uh, and that pretty much came across in the later years. Uh, but legitimately, not as excited as this guy in the in the stands. But uh, uh, I was legitimately excited about being there. And doing this match. Well, you, you referenced that several times, saying this is the biggest night in the history of our sport. Stop, and, fucking stop that. And you even referenced that uh, you would rather be here than at the Super Bowl or the finals or the Stanley Cup or the World Series. And Bobby Heenan, who knows what a big sports fan you are, says, really? You'd rather be here than any of those? And you think for a minute, like, fuck, that was pretty dumb to say, but you go with it. And you're like, yeah. It wasn't dumb to say. Oh, here we go. Oh, he could have won the match with a drop kick, but that drop kick didn't work. Imagine right. that. And a reversal into the near side. Ropes and up. Oh, great spinning head scissor takeover. Not a bad move. Not a bad move for Mark Merrow. And again, takes him down. But see, that I don't, I don't and like the crowd this. goes mild. <laughs> they're, <laughs> the crowd, <laughs> they're not that bad. Oh, big back body drop. Mark Merrow, you know what he's thinking right now? Somebody fucking cheer. Oh, he's thinking, man, when this is over, I'm going to fuck Sable. Oh, right in the side of the head. And down goes Lord Steven Regal. Still with glitter. Oh, whoa, what a move. Tremendous move. And the midget, uh, I'm sorry, the saw-off front goes down too. I shouldn't say midget, should I? Eh, we'll get shit that. I don't, I, okay. Uh, th- okay. There may be a short list of people upset. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you had to go ahead and play uh, stunt dick, Tony, would you rather do that with um, Mongo's wife or Mark Marrow's wife? Uh, I would like Uh-oh, both. Here we go. Thanks. What's going on? Oh, he kicked the one and a two count. Now he's giving birth. He's giving birth to Stephen Regal. <laughs> oh, look at that. One, That's two, three. Oh, thank God this is over. That move right there is why I was late taping this morning. I did that move last night. <laughs> I bet you did. I w- <laughs> did. Did Mark Merrow sell it as well last I, night as he did right there? I finished oh. one, two, three. Re- they didn't even really get that on camera. How great is that? <laughs> yeah, we missed a lot of shit. Oh, my goodness. And down goes William. 
And so he's going to stomp the hat. This is eat. Yeah, good job. <laughs> oh good job. That was great, man. You know what? I think we ought to just hang with this. Let's not turn it off just yet. I know the match is over, but okay. let's call the replay, Tony. Okay, here it is once again. Regal up top. Missed the drop kick. Regal sold it nicely. Marrow on top. One, two, three. And now here is what we all missed. Grabbing the umbrella and a kick over the top. One, two, no. We're going to fuck up this move really good. Hey, you dumbass. There you go. Oh, one, two, three. Regal wins long and deep. Uh, the kielbasa action was ever now look at this look at these motherfuckers sweeping yeah that's the high spot for you you're like finally they're out here fucking sweeping you know lois watched some of this event with me and there you see heenan and i on camera and lois said boy you were good looking back then and i went damn straight man damn straight here's what i find interesting right over you you see enoki who you're about to honor in the ring could we not make sure that we're not shooting him if he's supposed to be the big surprise? He's right there front and center in the fucking shot. I mean, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a big surprise for fans, uh, not a big surprise for smart marks like yourself. What about this Hogan character in the background who went to all the shows in Florida for years and years? It's something he was a, he was a, everywhere. There was there was a couple of people who looked like Hogan in the stands. Absolutely, the, the other guy actually looked more convincing. But this fucking guy, he went to everything in Florida. I know he did. God bless him. Did you ever have a still- conversation with that slab dick? Shit, no. Yeah, do you? Uh, I would. I would. You know, give him a high five or whatever. But I would not have a Here conversation. Here we go, Tony. Give us a give us a play by play of this An- Anoki segment. Okay. Uh, who in the hell is with Gene Okerlund? Uh, let me say this: We are watching the ring right now, and I understand I'm going to make a lot of Japanese wrestling fans upset with this. But to me, the biggest star in the ring. Is Gene Okerlund. For sure. Good God, could he talk? Could he sell shit? And it was to the point to where it was like Gene Okerlund over the top, but not too over the top to where it was authentic. And, ooh, how about that popcorn fart? Huh? Yay. Antonio Noki. And most people are saying, yay. Look at Linda Hogan in the background. Oh, she's standing up. Absolutely. But most people are going, yay. I'm sorry, sweetheart. Who the fuck is that in the ring? That's Antonio Noki. Really? Antonio Noki? A Japanese guy with an Italian first name? Okay. <laughs> All right. And here, because we spent $10.45 for this fucking plaque, we're going to present it to you and thank you for being there. And another popcorn part, part of applause. You know what we need right here, uh, Conrad? What's that? We need someone. Oh, you go get a kiss. We need someone to come in the ring and save this shit. Oh, oh thank God. Here he is. Clear <laughs> on his fucking back. Oh, Jesus. Very good. Thank you, Steve. Steve probably did this himself. I don't think this was probably, probably an angle. He probably was watching it back and says, oh, crikey, I got to get out there and f- do something here. So I'll just put my back to the camera. And uh, run down Antonio Anoki. Now, I do want to say here that when Anoki took his jacket off, he finally got some sort of a pop here. So that was pretty good. But up until then, I nothing was going on. 
How would you describe the neck attire of a Noki here? Uh, I would have uh, rented. <laughs> Not well done. I, that could have been that. That could have been the uh, the Japanese style of uh, tuxedos back then in 1994. Don't you think? Maybe. Oh, William's going to hold him back, huh? Oh, that's right. Get that little salt off right to hold my ass back. Now, the fans will finally get a little bit of, oh, he knows how to take off a jacket, doesn't he? He knows how to take off a jacket. I know a lot of college basketball coaches need to learn to take a jacket off like that. And, of course, no one comes to blows, but it's a pretty good angle. God, Regal was tremendous, wasn't he? No, he absolutely was. Hey, Tony, absolutely. what's your favorite Inoki match? Uh, uh, the one with Muhammad Ali. What's your favorite Inoki promo? Uh, this one right here. Roll tight on that. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and recap the rest of the card. We hope you had fun with that. Next up yeah. on the show, by the way, we should mention that um, that match that we just called went 10 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, Meltzer gave it two and a half stars. All right. Um, uh, we've also got Vader and the guardian angel coming up. That's going to end by disqualification in about eight minutes. Meltzer would write that it wasn't up to uh, Vader's usual standards, but the work was pretty stiff. Vader did a moonsault after, but after landing, he sold the move himself instead of pinning angel. Harley race got to the top rope and angel threw him off and then threw him out of the ring. Eventually angel would suplex Vader back in. And a ref bump would happen where Race would give Vader a nightstick, uh, one of those extendable gimmicks. Uh, but eventually, Angel gets the stick, and before he can use it, the ref sees that he has it and calls for the DQ. Meltzer says it's a terrible finish. Yeah, uh, It would be a two-and-a-half-star match. What did you think of the Guardian Angel gimmick? And for those of you who don't remember this, this is uh, Ray Trailer, the former big boss man here working as the Guardian Angel. Well, uh, I always thought the big boss man, uh, Big Bubba, uh, whatever you want to call him, was a for his size a great worker. Oh, for sure, great great worker. Uh, if uh, Meltzer didn't like the finish, I suggest he books it. Uh, next, next up, uh, Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck. They beat Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson after about eleven minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. Rhodes worked all but the first thirty seconds of the match. Meltzer would write, doing a good job in getting heat and fighting his way out of trouble. Finally makes the tag to Anderson uh, with the cameras elsewhere, of course. How WCW yeah. is that? And yeah. Anderson just immediately DDTs Dustin and then puts Funk on top for the pin. So we see, once again, a horseman turning on a Rhodes. Uh, they do a three-on-one teasing that they break Dustin's arm until Doug Dillinger and Greg Gagne uh, make the save. Three stars here. Uh, I know that this match didn't get lots of critical claim, but I've always really enjoyed Terry Funk, Dustin Rhodes, and Arn Anderson. So I enjoyed this. I got three stars, yeah. and I thought it was a fun match. Uh, I'm going to throw in there uh, Bunkhouse Buck and Colonel Robert Parker, two two very good characters. Uh, and uh, when the you watch this, and then you go back, and you see Oakland's reaction, and then they went back to the party, and you hear them talking back there. I think it was all well done. All The whole thing, very well done. Absolutely. Uh, is there a more underrated performer than Dustin Rhodes on this no. card? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, you know, let me uh, say something about Terry Funk. And I mentioned this match that, you know, he was crazy. I, I don't know what he was going to do. You legit, When Terry Funk would wrestle as an announcer at ringside, 
you really didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Because he would improvise so much shit, he would scare the hell out of you. So there was a part of me at, at ringside there that was scared shitless. Because he just may come over and yank the chair out from underneath me, hit me on the head with a chair. Thinking it was good for business. That's how he was. And that's one of the reasons we were we loved him, but we were scared shitless of him at the same time. Next up, Steve Austin pins Rick Steamboat in 20 minutes or so to retain the U.S. title. Uh, Meltzer would write that it started slow but turned into a super match. In his opinion, Steamboat was the best performer on the card this night. Uh, the crowd got into it in spots, but it didn't get the heat it could have because so much of the crowd was either papered or really just there to see Hogan. Um, the highlight of the move, he says, was a triple reversal in a tombstone pile driver set up before Steamboat did the move. At one point, the ref was about to DQ Austin when Steamboat asked for it to continue. Yeah. Finally, Steamboat hits a cross body block, but Austin reverses the move and holds the trunks for the pin. Three and three quarter stars. I thought it was a really cool little deal here. It was a good yeah. match. Good match. Two great performers. Steamboat was one of those performers that could have a great match with anybody. And that's, I'm not saying because of Austin, because as we know, Austin was one of the greats of all time and was. Uh, I, th- I, I absolutely loved the match. I loved it at that time. It was a great match to have building up to the main event. Uh, just great shit. I always wondered uh, how Steamboat was able to wrestle after he blew fire because, you know, he had to put that shit in his mouth mm-hmm. to blow the fire. And then had to, you know, you, you, he never rinsed his mouth out. He always would like wipe it off or something. That shit had to get down his throat. You had to have a taste of that shit, you know, lighter fluid, the whole freaking match that I always wondered about that. Uh, up next, we get a lengthy interview in the dressing room with the stud stable. And this includes Arn Anderson, who Meltzer writes somehow cryptically talked about his deal with Sid vicious in England last year. That's always kind of been something Tony yeah. that Arn doesn't want to talk about, but for him to mention it right here, do you think this is just WCW pulling out all the spots they can to just get people talking? No, that's Arn. That's just Arn freestyling right there is what that is. That's all that is. Next up, we've got Pretty Wonderful. And how great of a name is that for a tag team for Paul Roma and Paul Orndorff? And they win the WCW tag titles from Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan in about 20 minutes. This won the worst match on the pole. Yeah. Um, although Orndorff is great at working the crowd, these guys are flat when it comes to being tag champs. The match wasn't good. Tony, uh, Dave didn't think the match was very good. What did you think? Yeah, it wasn't very good. It didn't have much fan reaction. Uh, I, the the uh, Dave getting involved was lame. Uh, a lot of a lot of shit that Kevin did is pretty stiff. A lot of his chops, a lot of his uh, blows, pretty good. Uh, not that good of a match, but you know, I think it was strategically put there because uh, as a good separator between what was to come and what just happened. I, I want to mention here that Meltzer wrote, it wasn't until the last minute that it was even clear Cactus would work uh, as he was still in rough shape from a back injury suffered in the match against Sabu. WCW right. officials were also exceedingly upset about Cactus spitting on the belt and throwing it on the ground during an ECW interview. So mm-hmm. Brian Pillman was flown in to sub for him, but instead just made a cameo appearance at the Hogan victory party alongside yeah. Beefcake, Duggan, and Brian Blair. Uh, the match was dull. The crowd was doing the wave and paying no attention. It went on forever. Finish saw Jack do the double arm DDT on Orndorff, but Roma tripped him from the outside. And with Jack's legs way out of the ring, 
the ref right there seeing Roma hold them still counted as Orndorff did the pin half a star. Was yeah. Meltzer too critical or was it that bad in your opinion? Yeah, probably too critical. Uh, the work rate wasn't great, uh, but uh, pretty wonderful looked good. Uh, the use of Dave Sullivan uh, meant nothing in the match. I thought Heenan's comments about Sullivan were pretty funny uh, because uh, because just of, of being uh, Bobby Heenan. Uh, but it was still, it was, I don't think, I don't think it was that bad, but it wasn't good. Again, to me, it's a good separator because I don't think you can have Steamboat and, uh, Austin followed by Hogan and Flair. Make sense to you? Yeah. In the, in the scheme of things. Let's, uh, let's mention before we get to the main event here that the company sent out press releases with a photo for the media of, uh, Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And, and the caption was Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Cliff. Are you serious? Uh, at the Orlando pay-per-view, about 90% of the souvenirs being for sale in the building were for Hogan. Uh, the Orlando Sentinel, which did several major stories before and after the card, noted that they asked a vendor why in particular there wasn't any Flair merchandise, and the vendor said, nobody wants to buy anything Flair. Really? Uh, apparently those in charge realize what the rest of us have about Michael Buffer and they'll use him for as long as they've already committed, but don't expect him to be permanent. That's from all directly the wrestling observer newsletter. Um, Michael Buffer is here and doesn't do the best job. Uh, at least in my opinion, he kind of jumps the gun introducing Bachwinkle, uh, and then, and then does it again. Uh, to the exact same response. And uh, we got some questions on Twitter about why Jesse Ventura disappeared here, because Jesse goes from being on commentary to off for Hulk Hogan. And I wondered, was that because of some perceived heat with Hulk Hogan or did Hogan request Heenan since they had such a long history of working together in the WWF? What say you, why was Jesse not here for the main event? Uh, Because of heat between he and uh, Eric Bischoff. Eric was Eric wasn't into Jesse. You know, Jesse was hired by uh, Kip Fry. Uh, uh, I think probably Bill Watts would have terminated his contract because, as you know, back then Bill Watts wanted to cut the budget, uh, but he couldn't. Uh, and and I think now with all the money they were paying Hogan, probably Eric looked at that and said, you know, why are we paying Jesse so much money? Uh, Eric has, and and I've read online. I don't know if you had. Uh, Eric has gone on to say and listen online to some of these interviews that he fired Jesse because he called Jesse sleeping in the back and Jesse missed some shots. I, I, I never remember that. I'm not calling Eric Bischoff a liar on that, but I, I always remember Jesse being really always ready to work, always ready to work. Uh, I can't always say that about every color guy that I work with being ready to work. Jesse was always ready to work. And, uh, so he, uh, I, it just he and Eric had some heat, and if you'll recall, I we did an on-camera shot where I said, uh, "Jesse, uh, Hogan and Flair coming up. What do you think about that?" And Jesse just said, "I just like I said before, I'm going with Flair," and the, you could tell he was pissed off there. So there was heat between he, he and Eric, and that was part of that. I don't think Hogan had anything to do with it. Meltzer could, right. could have, could have. That would have been a discussion with with Hogan and Flair. I mean, with Hogan and, uh, and Bischoff, that, that I was not privy to. Jesse Ventura was complaining to anyone who would listen about his treatment. Ventura cited the Saturday night ratings have continually dropped since he was replaced by Bobby Heenan. 
and was upset that nobody in the company gave him any lead time in knowing what role he'd play on the pay-per-view. When Ventura was out there during the second match, he seemed to not turn off his bad mood even when the camera was on. Yeah. By the way, Ventura has decided not to run for the U.S. Senate. Uh, so let's get into the main event, what we're all here for. Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair for the world title. Uh, it goes almost 22 minutes. Meltzer would write, it's the first clean pinfall ever in a singles match between the two of them. In 92, Hogan pinned Flair with a leg drop in several tag matches, but all the singles matches were either DQ or count out of the ring endings. Hogan got an even b- bigger pop than Shaquille O'Neal. Now, I know at a wrestling show you may say, well, of course he did, but let's run through this. Shaquille O'Neal helped reignite interest in the NBA and set the NBA on fire uh, with the uh, card collecting community, the collectible community. Uh, he was a huge box office attraction. He came in with endorsements from lots of mainstream acts, Nestle, Pepsi, everything in between. And we're in his home arena here in Orlando. Uh, so this is a big deal. When you are an expansion franchise like this, you're the, the, the biggest name in the league right now, besides Michael Jordan, who is, you know, sometimes playing baseball, sometimes not. Uh, it's a really big deal to have him here. Yes. Um, no George Foreman, but Mr. T was there, and so was Michael Buffer. Uh, Meltzer would write, The announcers tried to get over an insulting storyline to any fans that even has the semblance of a memory that this was Hogan's first match in three years, and it was the first time Flair and Hogan had ever wrestled. Flair was psyched up for the match, even though from a storyline standpoint, it was no different than any other Hogan Saturday night's main event, except it was longer. Hogan overpowers heel. Manager distracts Hogan. Heel gets advantage. Instead of it happening twice, it happened four times. But the people were there to see the Hogan show, and Flair gave it to him. Hogan missed a leg drop the first time, but didn't sell a suplex. After a foot to the face, Sherry would post referee Randy Anderson. There's no DQ for that. And then Sherry would KO Jimmy Hart, and Flair clipped Hogan. Sherry splashed Hogan off the top, and Nick Patrick ran in as the second ref as Flair got the figure four on, but Hogan made the ropes. So Sherry would start choking Hogan with her nylons and raked his eyes. Somebody ought to give that woman a medal for how hard she works at ringside. No question. Sherry would miss a second splash off the top rope. Hogan makes the Superman come back. Flair takes a bump off the top. Hogan gets the figure four. Mr. T carries Sherry to the back. Uh, Flair hit Hogan with knuckles, but Hogan kicks out of two. Another superhuman comeback. Leg drop. One, two, three. Three and a quarter star. The thing that stuck out to me most in this match, I guess, is at one point when Hogan's clearing house, he hits Sherry in the face. Yes. And there's a cheer for that. Yes. And at one point when she tries to hand him, she's fumbling around to get the knuckles to give to Flair. The knuckles bounce out of the ring and onto the floor. And Flair, yeah. e- Flair expertly leaps out of the ring as quick as he can, slides back in, gets right in front of the camera to position himself so you can make it very obvious, hey, here's what happened and here's what I'm doing. Uh, these guys made chicken salad here, and they wind up getting three and one-quarter stars in the rating for the match here from Dave Meltzer. And then right afterwards, everybody celebrates with Shaquille O'Neal and, and Mr. T and lots of photo ops for the belt. Uh, and, of course, Hank Aaron was there as well. Uh, you can also see Linda Hogan going absolutely bananas in the front row when Hogan hits the big boot. What did you think of this match, Tony, and what stood out as you watched it back, maybe for the first time in more than 20 years? Uh, what, what stood out was uh, I liked Sherry's involvement. I agree with Meltzer about how hard she works 
at ringside. I mean, Sherry was was something else. And that splash, that first splash that she made, I was watching the thing with Lois, and Lois even popped with that one. Oh, my God. Uh, then when he hit Sherry, I'm thinking, well, I guess he can do that in 1994. Uh, uh, but you can't do it now. I thought it was a great match. I thought it, it, we did everything, and God bless Ric Flair. It did everything that we wanted it to do. Uh, it was, uh, the, I think the fans were into it. I think you would agree with that. That's what they came to see. They got a clean finish as far as us insulting the fans by pretending this was the first Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair match ever. My response to uh, Dave Meltzer is that, would you like me to say they wrestled in the WWF before right. and they wrestled? Okay. I can't, I, I, I couldn't do that. That's not the way the business worked back then. So I didn't fucking do this. Don't talk about being insulting. That's just the way it fucking was. And if you don't like it, then fuck you. Uh, but I thought it was a great match. Uh, and again, I thought it was a great way to end a pay-per-view. We always talk about ending pay-per-views. And we didn't always do this, as you know. And that's probably one of the reasons the business went went to shit. But we always talked about at the end of the pay-per-view, having the fans leave happy. Now, I'm sure some Ric Flair fans, some smart fans, didn't leave that pay-per-view happy. But I think overall, they left happy on that pay-per-view. I think the one bad thing about it was I thought we kind of stretched out the end a little bit too long. Uh, you know, I think uh, we they came back to me. With, there always was a sense of we've got to hit the timing just right at 247.50 or 247.30. They, they, if you see Okerlund said goodbye, then they came back to me to say goodbye. Uh, I thought that was kind of uh, awkward. But other than that, hell of a show. Hell of a show. I got to tell you, I am uh, really looking forward to 1995. That's what we're going to be covering uh, for next week's poll. But before we do, we should mention all the fine offer offerings over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Uh, Tony, you actually make a call whenever someone picks up a shirt from pro wrestling tees forward slash WHW, you call them up and personally thank them. Uh, tell us uh, what your experience has been like doing that in the most recent weeks. Uh, it has been a hundred percent, 100%, uh, positive. I really enjoy it. Uh, you know, there may be people out there that say, you know, Shivani is just doing this because he thinks it'll help, um, sell more shirts well fucking duh sure uh yeah but uh the the flip side of that is everybody has been so kind uh and i just think it's it's been phenomenal uh and uh i i i certainly do appreciate talking to everyone you know i i don't talk long i'm not going to spend 20 minutes on the one i've even i've even i even called one of our uh one of our listeners from australia Wow. And I and I've tempted to call a couple of guys from England. I left a message with one. The other ones I, I wasn't able to get through. So uh, I just uh, I just think it's absolutely. I enjoy it. Okay, I I I enjoy it because a couple of things here, Conrad. Sincerely, and 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 we all know that I that I'm full of shit at times and like to talk over the top and cuss and uh, be irreverent. But sincerely. It's it's great talking these fans. Uh, you know they obviously stroke the ego, and that always makes you feel good. But it's sincerely talking to them and kind of reliving some of the past and some of the memories that we have. Uh, 
and I, I just, uh, I really, truly enjoy it. So it means a lot. It really does. And um, I just want to thank them from the bottom of my heart. I, I enjoy, enjoy being there, enjoy being part of all of this. And I'm honored to be a part of wrestling's past. I really am. Uh, again, going back to talking about me with Jesse Ventura uh, and with uh, Gene Okerlund and Bobby the Brain Heenan, all of us there that night, me being a part of that. Go back and remember my days of being just a wrestling fan of Jim Crockett Promotions in the 70s. And here I am. I'm sitting there doing all this. I mean, I, I had forgotten how much I loved it back then. And we were at the beginning, you know, you're going to talk about that next week. We're going to be talking about 1995. And, you know, that's when we started to really uh, do some great things. But I had forgotten uh, actually how uh, how honored I was to be a part of that. And and as far as as far as the T-shirts are concerned, I, I do need to say that uh, our buddy out of Nova Scotia, we need to give him a props, don't we? Halifax Matt has helped us with some great designs, and you're absolutely going to love them. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites, instead of the Wonder Years, everybody remembers that uh, Hervey was involved in a lot of WCW stuff. Well, we've got our tribute, the Blunder Years. Lots of WCW blunders over the years. Uh, maybe one of the coolest shirts on the internet right now, Lois Rules. If you enjoy all things Lois Shivani here on the show, go ahead and show your support. Hulk Hogan style, Lois Rules is a pretty yeah. fun shirt. Uh, and, of course, there's lots of references to all of the times that Tony Shivani had every wrestling fan on earth blocked. Uh, in Brock Lesnar style, we've got eat, sleep, block, repeat. We've also got the Blockmaster, uh, our tribute to the Shockmaster, of course. Instead of the Great American Bash, nope, it's the Great American Blocked Party. Uh, and who could forget, not uncensored, but unblocked. Tony has turned babyface on all of us here. And if you'd <laughs> like to support Tony Schiavone, go ahead and grab a shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. His son, Chris, is rocking that Schiavone shirt on the regular. My daughter is sporting her Thompson shirt to school. And, of course, the Klondick Bill family. That's right, Klondick. Wow. You can pick up a Klondick shirt. What would you do for Kilbasa Sausage? Available right now, ProWrestlingTees.com <laughs> forward slash WHW. And if you're not in the loop on why pasta still rules, I encourage you to go listen to the very first Monday Nitro edition. We do a little freestyling on a conspiracy theory that uh, set the internet ablaze. Uh, but Tony later today is going to be calling some baseball, and he's probably really happy that he's not doing that with any Syracuse slapdicks. Uh, and you can go ahead and pick up the Syracuse slapdicks, which is hands down Tony's favorite shirt over at pro wrestling tees forward slash WHW. But my favorite thing is 1995. And here's why we're going to give you your poll options for what we might cover next week. And if you don't vote for this, then I don't want to be your fucking friend. Uncensored 1995. This shit is in Tupelo, Mississippi. There's lots of things that are on this card that are hilarious. I'm going to give you some of them. Now a leather strap match with Hulk Hogan and the Renegade is in his corner, taking on <laughs> Vader with Ric Flair in a leather strap match. We've got a false count anywhere match with the Nasty Boys and Harlem Heat. Now let's talk about some fun stuff. Are you ready for this? Johnny B. Bad taking on Arn Anderson in a boxing match. Yeah. Ming, process what I'm saying here, guys. Ming taking on Jim Duggan in a martial arts match. That's real. 
Uh, but then maybe my favorite. Here we go. The Blacktop Bully taking on Dustin Rhodes in a King of the Road match. Briefly describe a King of the Road match, Tony. Put them in the back of a truck, drive them all around town, have them fight. That needs to win the poll. We want to do commentary on Uncensored 95. We're going to do commentary on Uncensored 95. If you do your part and go vote for it right now on Twitter, at WHW Monday. Uh, the next match that we're going to put on the poll, or the next show, rather, is the Great American Bash 1995. This one takes place in Dayton, Ohio, and I want this on here for one reason. Uh, someone took me to task for giving spoilers, but I can't help help myself. Uh, Dave Sullivan, with his pet rabbit, Ralph, <laughs> defeats the Diamond Dallas Page uh, with uh, Diamond Doll and Max Muscle in an arm wrestling contest. This is on pay-per-view that people paid American money for. Uh, we've also got, are you ready for this? Rick yeah. Flair defeating Randy Savage with Angelo Poffo in his corner. Oh, uh, we've got God. Sting and Ming. I, I like them just because it rhymes. But what we're really here for, it's a nine-minute match for the world television title. And Arn Anderson comes in here as the world television champion, and he loses the fucking thing to the Renegade. That is poll option number two. Arn Anderson putting over the Renegade. Great American Bash 95. No, that's not a rib. Uh, An outdoor show. We've had lots of requests for this. Bash at the Beach 1995. The venue, it's the beach. That's right. They did an outdoor show. Uh, They called it an event so hot they had to put it on the beach. And it's uh, Bash at the Beach 1995. In the main event, we've got Hulk Hogan and Vader in a steel cage match. I have no fucking idea what a lifeguard match is, but that's what Ric Flair and Randy Savage had that day. And we had a triangle tag match with the Blue Bloods taking on the Nasty Boys and Harlem Heat. Uh, Kamala taking on Jim Duggan. Sting and Ming. Uh, Renegade and Paul Orndorff. That's right. Renegade's not done. First Arn Anderson, now Paul fucking Orndorff. This has to be a rib, only in WCW. Do you see this? Uh, let's cruise over and do Fall Brawl 1995. That's our final topic for 1995, Fall Brawl 95. And in the main event, we've got Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Lex Luger, and Sting. Process all the star power on that. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Lex Luger, and Sting in a War Games match. And their opponents are... Ming, the shark, the Zodiac, and Kamala. I wonder wow. I wonder who wins. <laughs> that's uh, one that's one of the first war games job matches I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, we've also got a pretty fun match with the Harlem Heat taking on Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater. Diamond Dallas Page defeats the Renegade. Fucking finally. Somebody beats <laughs> the Renegade. But no, it's not Arn Anderson. No, it's not Paul Orn- Paul Orndorf. It's Diamond Dallas Page in 1995. What the fuck is going on here? Uh, Johnny B. Bad is taking on Brian Pillman. Craig Pittman defeats Cobra. If you had to pick Cobra out of a lineup right now, Tony, could you? No. Uh, And maybe our most uh, popular match on this card, at least from my perspective, Arn Anderson in a singles match against Ric Flair. A lot of people thought they'd never see that. Arn Anderson, Ric Flair is probably the best match on Fall Brawl 1995. So let's recap. Fall Brawl 95, you can vote for that, but you fucking shouldn't. Uh, Bash at the Beach 95, that would also be fun, but you better not fucking vote for it. Uh, The Great American Bash 1995, 
I mean, who could go ahead and deny that this is going to be fun when you've got the renegade and Arn Anderson and you get to hear Tony Schiavone uh, rip it to shreds? But don't you dare vote for that. Well, go ahead and vote right now for Uncensored 95. The world needs us to call Jim Duggan and Ming in a martial arts match. The and world, a king of, king of the road match, too. That's the main event, baby. A king of the road <laughs> match? Are you kidding? We have to do this. This is yeah. what we deserve. Please, I know. Please go I, vote for Uncensored 95. Am I right, Tony? That would be so fucking fun. You're exactly right. And apparently, I think of all that, I'm excited about the Renegade being in Hulk Hogan's corner. Can you can you imagine? I mean, they wow. will be. It'll be standing room only. They'll be they'll be hanging from the rafters when they see <laughs> a martial arts match with Jim Duggan, a yeah. boxing match with Arn Anderson, mm-hmm. and Hulk Hogan seconded by the Renegade in the main wow. event. Oh, the only way we can beat that is if we send cameras out and film people fighting in the fucking bed of a truck. For This is unbelievable. We have to do this. It's Tupelo, Mississippi. It's Uncensored 95. We want your vote right now. Cruise on over to Twitter. It's at WHW Monday on Twitter. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. He, of course, is Tony Schiavone 24. We've had a great time with you today. And I would like to go ahead and challenge you this week. And I'm just freestyling here, Tony. I want to try to see how much fun we can have with this commentary aspect of our show. So if you enjoyed this week's show, we'd love to hear your suggestions as to what word or phrases we can work into next week's commentary. And we're going to go ahead and try to fit some of those in and just be as over-the-top ridiculous as we can. Right. For instance, if this King of the Road match were to win, and that's the match we wound up calling... Could we work in the word seahorse? Could we work in mayonnaise? Just randomness. Give me something. Uh, I before E except after C. Give us some sort of hilarity and do it on Twitter. We'd love to have the interaction with you of what you'd like to hear us work in next week on commentary. He is at Tony Schiavone 24. I am at Hey Hey It's Conrad. And the place to vote, and you fucking better vote for Uncensored 95, is at WHW Monday on Twitter. Uh, before we get out of here, Tony, is there anything you'd like to wrap it up? Because once you send us out of here, I'm going to make sure we play the Starcade Boys All and right. their song, Long Limousines. And we're also going to include on Twitter a link to the video. Go to our Twitter, at WHW Monday. You'll see it pinned to the top because it's that fucking awesome. No, I don't know these guys. I talked to them twice on Twitter. Uh, but this thing is outstanding, and you need to see it. You're going to like it. It's them Starcade boys, long limousines. Tony, anything to say or cover before you get us out of here? Uh, again, thanks for all the feedback, and thanks for all the feedback about wanting to do a podcast. The best thing to do if you want to do your own podcast is show up to Anaheim to the podcast movement on uh, the weekend of August 23rd to the 25th. It's an event that is for podcasters and done by podcasters. We're honored that we're part of this. We're honored we're part of the podcast world, and I'm honored that Conrad fucking thompson is my friend who apparently has a lot of heat is pissed off about how much push the renegade got at one time uh (sighs) you know there's a really horrible joke to make there but i'm just going to move along i do want to encourage everyone when you're going to podcastmovement.com go ahead and use the promo code tony you're going to get a special offer and these guys are the real deal uh podcast movement has helped put tony and i on the map and we know they will help your show get to the next level as well podcastmovement.com don't forget that promo code it's a special offer you can't get anywhere else just for our listeners use that promo code tony you'll be glad you did but hurry the cost is going up they do an early bird special 
The clock is ticking. Get out in front of it. Save as much money as you can and have the best podcast you can at podcastmovement.com. Remember that promo code again is Tony. But when I look at the clock, Tony, I know right now we're out of time. We're out of time, Conrad, but I do want to say this has been a great television title match between the Renegade and Conrad Thompson. It has almost gone the distance. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Conrad Thompson is removing his mustache, and he's removing his beard. It's not Conrad Thompson. Oh, my God. It is Sable. Sable dressed up as Conrad Thompson. Oh, shit. Well, she really let herself go, didn't she? And now it's Sable hooking up with the Renegade. And now, from the back, someone's coming in with a steel chair. Oh, it's Lois Schiavone with a steel chair. She's running in for the back. Look at those boobs bump bouncing up and down. Holy shit. She's got a chair. She raised the chair up to hit the Renegade. And we're desperately out of time. We'll see you next week on WHW Monday. What? happened fucking when in those days we were drawing money we were making money the company was making money jim crockett had two private planes we all bought new mercedes we bought five at one time at the mercedes dealership there in charlotte pull our mercedes up to the uh, private aviation get out pull up to the steps of a private 10-seat jet fly to a Baltimore, Philadelphia, Richmond, Norfolk, wherever it was. Uh, Planted landed the limousine sitting there. Jump in the limousine, jump in the limousine, jump in the limousine, jump in the limousine. Jet plane, long limousine. Jet plane, long limousine. Jet plane, long limousine. Long, long limousine, long, long limousine. Jet plane, long limousine. Jet plane, long limousine. Jet plane, long limousine. Long, long limousine. Long, long got it locked, rappers can't see Jay Crockett or Mr. T. Shivani. So tight on the mic, so tight on the beat Country boys wild, keep it high, tech speed Ladies in the line, just as far as you can see You can buy a fucking ticket, but your chick's in for free But easy on that makeup, great kabuki I can't have it coming off on these thousand dollar jeans Gotta keep them clean, PG-13 And if your man's got a problem, bitch, I ain't scared to swing Cause Star K blow dough, money ain't a thing Rolex watch Keeps these girls golfing After party bottle service can't stop me Single mall 84 Yamazaki Million dollar dreams Ted DiBiase The toughest thing for us is that these paparazzi Jet plane, long limousine Jet plane, long limousine Jet plane, long limousine Long, long limousine Long, long limousine Jet plane, long limousine Jet plane, long limousine these Yankees wanna talk a lot of dumb shit. I think they're getting too high on the fun dip. They say they bang like a drum kit. Then pull out a 45 and you call that a gun shit. Where I'm from, that's what we shoot squirrels with. So run along back home and suck your girl's dick. You bench what I curl with. I'm not in a dad funk, I done been around the world, bitch. Jet Long 
limousine. A brawler like Lawler and they call me the king. The belt round my waist, watch it sparkle and gleam. When I walk by, bitches turn around like a king. Jump in the game, big splash like sting. Now Shivani on the mics like flare in the ring. Shivani in the club, shit, I run the damn thing. Screaming, I don't give a fuck and get a Swiss sparking. Woo! Jet plane, long limousine. Jet plane, long limousine. Jet plane, long limousine. Long, long limousine. Long, long limousine. Jet Jet plane, long limousine, nothing but them pretty ladies on a team, and they stop when I step on the scene like, damn, that motherfucker clean, bankroll, fine clothes, pulling up in that drop top rose, custom made from my head to my toes, plus I got a yacht with a stripper pole, I be on it. 